This is a Squeeze podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. This week's podcast is brought to you by BHP. Copper is a big deal in the energy transition because it's used to make electric vehicles, wind turbines and solar panels. When it comes to producing copper responsibly, it's happening now at BHP. Good morning, I'm Alex Tai. And I'm Claire Kimball. It's Monday the 15th of October. In your Squiz today, a no vote on The Voice. Israel's military prepares to invade. New Zealand also votes, and Taylor Swift takes over the box office. This is your Squiz Today. Australia was asked, and Australia said no. Around 60% of voters rejected the proposal to enshrine an Indigenous voice to Parliament in our constitution, with not one of the six states recording a majority in favour of the proposal. Speaking on Saturday night, Prime Minister Anthony Albanese said that when you aim high, sometimes you fall short. So, Claire, talk us through how the vote shook out. Yeah, there's still some votes to count, so the final result is pending. But a couple of things to point to. About 30 of our 151 federal electorates voted in favour of the proposal. Most of those were in inner cities or affluent areas of our capitals. And taking that on board, Queensland, which has the biggest proportion of the population living outside at the capital, it delivered the biggest no vote with six. 69% of Queenslanders rejecting the voice. The next biggest no came from South Australia with 64.5% voting against the voice. That was a bit of a surprise to analysts because the state is pursuing its own voice to parliament in the state parliament and there was a sense that voters there might be a bit more aware about how that voice could work. As for why the referendum went down, Albanese said that the lack of bipartisan support was the biggest factor, while the leading no campaigner, Warren Mundine, put it down to what he said was a lack of detail on how the voice would work. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of analysis on this in the coming days. But as for what's next, Albanese says that it's not the end of the road for reconciliation in Australia, but don't expect another referendum or the government trying to legislate for a voice body. Labor's ruled that that out already. As for the coalition, Indigenous Australian spokeswoman Jacinta Napanjimpa Price says that we should begin a new era in Indigenous policy. She says there needs to be a focus on doing things for Indigenous people who need the most help. And on the yes side, Indigenous leaders say they'll be silent this week for mourning and reflection over the result. Claire, federal parliament resumes in Canberra today for a fortnight of sittings. So with our federal politicians all in one place, I'm sure that we can expect a lot more on the referendum today. Around 360,000 Israeli military reservists have been mobilised and convoys of tanks have gathered near the border with Gaza, which experts say means that a ground invasion of the Palestinian territory is now imminent. Iran, which backs the Hamas militant group, warned against far-reaching consequences if Israel goes ahead with the invasion plan. Yeah, there's a real sense that something is going to happen on that front soon after Israel advised Gazans to get out of the north of the territory. It's seen US President Joe Biden hit the telephone. He called Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu to directly express his support for Israel, but also to say that America doesn't want to see an escalation in the conflict. 
conflict. Biden's also called the Palestinian leader Mahmoud Abbas uh, to say that the United States will help out with the humanitarian crisis that's unfolding there. The United Nations has estimated that a million Gazans have been displaced from their homes and we heard last week about the start of the effects of the turning off of water and power and it's very hard to get food and medicines into that territory at the moment. Here in Australia, thousands of people turned up to pro-Palestine rallies on the weekend in Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane and Adelaide with a heavy police presence. Our top politicians really didn't want those rallies to go ahead, but reports say they were peaceful with no arrests made. The other vote that people might have missed over the weekend was New Zealand's general election, which ended in a big defeat for the governing Labor Party. It was already on the slide under former Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern, but it was just too much for the Prime Minister Chris Hipkins to arrest. Cost of living pressures are biting hard in New Zealand and voters decided that they needed a change in direction. The Hipkins government was really thumped. Labor halved its representation in the Kiwi Parliament to 34 seats. The National Party, led by former Air New Zealand boss Christopher Luxon, has won the day. Uh, They've done the best, but they can't form a government in their own right. The likely outcome, the pundits say, is that the Nats will form a coalition with the ACT Party, which is a right-leaning, small government type of party. Uh, They might also need members from the New Zealand First Party. And that's not all for the results. There was also a 21-year-old candidate elected for the Maori Party. Hana Rafati Maipi Clark will become the youngest member of New Zealand's parliament in 170 years. This week, our podcast is brought to you by Aware Super. As one of Australia's largest profit-for-member super funds, they have a range of helpful tools, like their My Retirement Planner, which allows you to see how much you'll need for retirement and provides an easy-to-understand plan of how to get there. And better still, it's free for all. Read the PDS and TMD at aware.com.au. You weren't dreaming it. So many people were in Italy this year. It felt like a hunch, but now the Bureau of Statistics has confirmed it. The ABS monitors data on overseas travel and heaps of Aussies migrated north for the winter. We're not jealous at all. We've just been here working in the cold, (laughs) but that's fine. Uh, There's been about 130,000 returnees from Italy between June and August, which is the most on record. One travel agent put Italy's popularity down to the White Lotus effect. Of course, the last season of that really fab show was set in Sicily and it was really quite inspiring (laughs) to take a holiday there. Um, It wasn't top of the list, though, Italy. The UK was the top place that Aussies flew back to Australia from. And on those stats, there will be plenty more who went to Italy and plenty of other European destinations before transiting through London to get home. But Claire, all hail Bali, Indonesia was still our most popular overseas destination. Almost 380,000 returning travellers came back from there during our winter. Claire, I reckon someone who's earned a holiday this year is Taylor Swift. She has been everywhere doing everything this year. 
And one other feather in her cap now is her movie that debuted this weekend. Yeah, we'll see at some point this week how that's gone down in Australia. But in the United States, the analysts reckon that her film, which is called Taylor Swift, The Era's Tour, will rake in about $100 million in its opening weekend, which is a really big deal. And just to explain what this film is, it's a replica of her concert performance. There are some songs cut out of it, but it has a runtime of two hours and 48 minutes to be exact. Um, Australia wasn't the only place where people found it difficult to get tickets to her concert. So there are plenty of people who are now going along to the movies to see it, um, along of course with the uber fans who just can't get enough of her. <laughs> the last big concert to film adaptation was from Justin Bieber's 2011 show Never Say Never, but Swift is set to blow that one out of the water. And Claire, I like the advisory from the American cinema chain AMC. It welcomed Swifties and encourages them to swap friendship bracelets at the screenings, which is what Swifties do. But AMC did have one request. Please do not dance on our seats. <laughs> Squiz the day, Claire. It seems like a good time to mention that our 2023 media and news survey is open. Last year, we had over 2,000 respondents, which is exceptional. So we are going for gold again this time around. Yeah, let's go for more than 2,000, I reckon. That would be really terrific. And look, it's a Monday, so it's a day to get organised and do these sorts of things. <laughs> so a really good day to do the survey, I reckon. Um, we're really keen for Squiz's input into what they think about the news and media. Uh, it really helps us to know about the things that matter to you, but it also helps us to engage with advertisers and it would really mean the world to us if you did do it. Yes, thank you so much. And we'll have a link to that in the show notes. And that is it for us today. Thank you for listening and we'll be back again tomorrow. Hello, it's Bryce here from Squiz Kids. Kids and fiscal policy go together like peaches and cream, which is why we're excited to present a special Squiz Kids Q&A this week with Federal Treasurer Jim Chalmers. It's the podcast where the kids of Australia get to ask the questions. Tune in to Squiz Kids today to find out how the notorious B.I.G. has helped shape next week's budget, why the Treasurer considers himself more of a three-pointer than a slam dunker, and why his toenails will be painted with glitter nail polish next Tuesday when he stands in Parliament to hand down the budget. Plus, there's a cheeky question in there about his leadership ambition. All part of our mission to engage kids in the wider news agenda. Check it out in the Squiz Kids podcast feed or via squizkids.com.au.